Good morning, afternoon, and evening. Welcome to the 8311Cast, your premier Midwestern based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Marsh, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Tudor as we talk to you about college football, the NFL, Major League Baseball, the NBA, and of course, our signature segments, your weekly turtles have Mike's Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions here on episode 97. With it being Overreaction Monday, I wanted to get your two guys' reactions, I guess, to uh, a late OPI call in the, the Cowboys and Rams game. Now, to preface this, I really, really, really do not like the Dallas Cowboys. However, I have more disdain for the Saint or LA Rams than I do the Cowboys. So I was really hoping the Cowboys would come back and get it. You know, there was 30 seconds left in the game. It was third and 10. And uh, the game basically gets called uh, on an OPI call, which I thought... I mean, I'll tell you my thoughts in a minute. What are your guys' thoughts on this? You saw this play, right? It was uh, Michael Gallup for the Cowboys. Ball falls basically right into his hands, but he gets called for OPI on Jalen Ramsey, who kind of stumbled backwards and I, I think really sold the call. But uh, what do you guys think on this? So my opinion is yes. There was contact. Did Jalen Ramsey pull a wild theatrical stunt? and make it look like there was offensive pass interference. Yes. Does it, it's so it's so difficult, right? To see like to see these in action real time. And obviously the officials are going to react to something that looks egregious as Jalen Ramsey sh- like just showed off basically in this situation. Should the call have been, or should the penalty have been called? Probably not. Let him play on. But yeah, it is what it is. Refs miss calls. There was a obvious call that was missed earlier in the game, in my opinion, on the uh, that the Cowboys benefited from. But things like these tend to play out throughout the rest of the season. Should they have played on? Probably so. Yeah, I also didn't necessarily um, think it was offensive pass interference, but didn't think it should be called. Put it, put it this way, th- pushing like that happens all the time and very rarely gets called. By the book, was it offensive pass interference? Probably, but that's a play, you know, and we can talk about, you know, whether it should be or not, but by the book, I think that's probably pass interference. But they'd be passing a feeling to pretty much every play if you're going to call that. I was I was just going to say that. If you go by the book, you can call holding, either holding like on a receiver or holding on an offensive line and pass interference on nearly every single play in the NFL. It's, I, I, can you get away with those plays? I would tend to agree um, that that was technically offensive pass interference and uh, something to consider too is that every camera angle that you watch that on on Sunday Night Football was not from uh, outside the field of play so every shot that they showed that was either from uh, the center of the field looking in towards the two runners Uh, you never saw it from the officials point of view the guy who threw the flag was the side judge right that was in front of uh, where the two guys were running. So this guy's sprinting backwards, you know, watching this happen. I think from his angle, it probably looked more like OPI than it did from any of the camera angles that we got to see. However, 
I, I don't think that should have been flagged as pass interference. I think that was a, an awful way to, you know, essentially lose the game. But, I mean, the Cowboys shouldn't have been in that position to begin with. So, speaking of positions that nobody should ever be in, how about them Cyclones? Uh, yeah. How, I, how about those Cyclones? A game that we all three talked about last week on the episode saying this is a must win and just in a quick synopsis of the game in my opinion the players did not play like it was a must win and you even saw that at the end of the game how matt campbell like conceded defeat um, by not using timeouts um, at the end of the game either now was the game out of reach yes should this game have been out of reach the way that it was no. Did the Cyclones want it? In my opinion, absolutely not. One team came in and played with more heart. Yeah, I completely agree that, I mean, the Cyclones just didn't play. I mean, first of all, first observations, this Cyclone offense missed Charlie Kohler. Charlie Kohler did not play on Saturday due to a lower body injury, and Brock Purdy missed him. Brock Purdy was not good. Um, on Saturday, he was 16 for 35 for 145 yards and one interception. Um, I mean, he probably just... should have had three interceptions, though. One of them actually turned into a catch that Sean Shaw amazingly somehow caught behind him. Uh, and if he didn't, it would have been an interception. And then Brock Purdy threw another one just out of the reach of another defender. It, it, he did not look good for the first game. Yeah, but did miss Charlie Cole. I mean, there were a lot of, of plays. That, they didn't seem to change up the game plan much without Cola, right? So you had, um, you you know, you had Chase Allen running a lot of those uh, routes that Charlie Cola otherwise would have ran. And he's a good good tight end, but some of those plays, you just expect Charlie Cola to be open, and Chase Allen was not open, Right. And that, that was part of it, too, is, you know, just one receiver who's normally open just wasn't there to be open. Um, definitely hurt Brock Purdy. Um, second thing um, was big plays, right? So the Louisiana scored 31 points on the game. 21 of those points were on big plays, right? So they scored a touchdown on a kick return, a touchdown on a punt return, and then they scored a touchdown on a 78-yard pass. If you take away though, if you take away the big plays, basically if you take away that pass, the Cyclones defense held Louisiana under 200 yards of offense on the game, right? Under about 75 yards passing, right on the game. If you take away the one big play, it was that big play, and then the special teams disasters that did the Cyclones. And I don't know how you come in and give up a kick return touchdown and a punt return touchdown in the same game. I mean, my observations on those plays were the kick return. First of all, where was the kicker, right? The, the, the returner got past the first line, right? And then the kicker is supposed to be there to take an angle on him and at least make the guy think. But the kicker was nowhere to be found. Does anyone know where the kicker was on that play? Because he obviously wasn't where he was supposed to be. Um, and then on the punt return, that one I put squarely on the two gunners, right? The two gunners came down. And they were right in front of the punt returner. And they just let him go right in between the two of them. 
right? They need to know which guy's job it is to take the punt returner in that case. Somebody's got to go right out the punt returner and force him to make a move right away, right? If he has to make a move right away on that punt return, then somebody probably gets him somewhere, right? Because he's that much slower getting started. The lanes get that much better, right? And players are that much closer to him. He doesn't score a touchdown. Even if he doesn't get, even if one of those gutters don't tackle him, if they make him make a move there, he doesn't score. That one was definitely on the gunners. One of them has to take that tackle and tackle him. So, And there was some other bad angles and tackling on that punt return too. But the, the, gunner was, the gunners were the big ones. Somebody's just got to take right up the middle. You can't let him go right up the middle there. Yeah. Another takeaway from this game that I saw is, yes, the, team, the offense misses Charlie Kohler, right? But we have plenty other receivers between Sean Shaw, Zay, or Hutchison, who is the graduate transfer, or not graduate transfer, sorry, junior college transfer, Tariq Milton, Chase Allen, how many dropped passes did we see that were catchable in this game? It, it, for a team, when you are missing a receiver, every other receiver on the team has to step up. None of those receivers did. I, I can't tell you, like that one interception that Purdy had uh, throwing over, I, it was either Shaw or Hutchinson over on the sideline. The defender won that battle getting to the ball and just took it from our receiver. The receiver didn't want the ball, didn't go to the ball and was falling away and lost the battle that you have to win those one-on-one battles on the outside. If you want to be an offense that can actually move the ball right now. And that we just didn't see. Obviously Brock Purdy's, Connection and timing was off with a lot of his receivers throughout the game. We can blame this on what a wacky offseason this has been. But when it comes down to it, this is a junior quarterback coming into and it's not his first season starting, nor is it his second. It is his third year as a starter in the Big 12. And you seem to expect better from that from him from a quarterback that is possibly a top five quarterback in this upcoming draft if he so chooses to leave according to some draft analysts. The one good news or good news I would say is that the defense looked pretty good outside of a few outside of some missed tackles, which normally you see quite a few missed tackles in the first week no matter what season you're playing in, even in this season. But the defense was able to stop the run against a team that was known for power running the football last season in their conference against a stout offensive line where I think they said three of those offensive linemen were possible NBA or NFL draft uh, selections in this year, this upcoming draft or future drafts. The defense held its own. Greg Eisworth was flying all over the field again. Uh, Mike Rose played pretty well in coverage, I'd say as well as Tavon Kyle, our cornerback, seemed to play very well. I was curious as to see which corners would step up this year um, and play big minutes for Matt Campbell in that defense. So I feel like the defense is going to be what's going to hold us in some of these games going forward, but the offense really needs to wake up. But I do have one question, and I've been mulling over this question that I've wanted to ask you guys. 
This is Matt Campbell's fifth year with Iowa State. In his five years, he is in 52 games, he is now 26 and 26. It seems like a lot of these games, especially at the beginning of the season, the Cyclones seem unprepared, especially with the first game of last season as well. Um, dating back to Northern Iowa last year where we barely escaped. The loss to Kansas State at the end of the season, Matt Campbell came out and said they were wildly unprepared for that game. They got blown out in the bowl game to Notre Dame, albeit a really good team, but you expected a better performance than that. Is Matt Campbell a good coach for Iowa State when it seems like we can't win the close games? I mean, so... Boy, I didn't expect that question. Do me on that question. Is he a good football coach? I mean, you have to say the answer is yes, because otherwise why would big-name college football teams and NFL teams be coming after him, right? Exactly. Ohio State and the New York Jets aren't dumb. They're not coming after Matt Campbell because they're idiots, right? They see something there. Um, that being I said— I get that, but— but what I'm saying is all of this hype around him, it doesn't seem like the performance is somehow is not translated between coaching staff and players. Well, let's look at the, the second half of your question there. Is he a good coach for Iowa State? And I don't know how to answer that. How do you quantify if a coach is good for a certain program? Overall, I think he's done great things since coming in, especially after Paul Rhodes. But... Like he said, there's been so many silly mistakes that keep repeating themselves over and over and over again throughout the seasons. Why? Why is that happening? And you, you, right, that's and that's part of my question is usually you you attribute those mistakes that a team uh, sees, especially if they become patterns throughout a season. You attribute that to coaching. That's where it all starts, right? So I that's just. That's just the question I have, and I'm starting to try and think about this from an unbiased opinion, unbiased viewpoint from the outside in. Yes, other teams are raving about uh, Matt Campbell and what he has done, turning this program around. Am I happy that we have him as our coach? Yes. But to some degree, thinking about this analytically and just from what we are putting on the field— how much can we attribute this to poor coaching, poor circumstantial coaching and pre and preparation? And how much can we attribute to the players? One thing I think you can totally discount from that, though, is the uh, the coronavirus pandemic, because every team has had to deal with that. I know there's somebody out there that's listening. It's like, oh, well, they're having a rough time because they didn't have as much time in the offseason, not enough, you know player-to-player -player contact and whatnot. But you got to keep in mind, every team's going to be going through that. So that's something well, you can totally discount from this analysis. And, and the, the point I want to throw out there, Kyle, is you, you can talk about, you know, Matt Campbell and right all that. You want to know in the last – so Matt Campbell still has a, an above 500 winning percentage at Iowa State. Just barely, but still above 500. You wanna I know mean, the, it is 500, yeah. You want to know the last time a uh, – well, if you count bowl games, it's 500. Wait. Regular, otherwise, oh, yeah. anyway. Anyway, um, you want to know the last time an Iowa State coach had an above 500 record? You got to go back all the way to 1978 for Earl Bruce. That was the last Cyclone football coach to have an above 500 record. There's not been a Cyclone coach here who's brought this program to a 500 record 
in nearly 50 or in about 45, 40 to 50 years, Kyle. Like, you got to put it in perspective of we're still Iowa State. I, I, no, no, no. Don't get me wrong. I completely understand that. But are we trying to settle for 500 or are we wanting to be better? Does Matt Campbell make us a 500 football team or what I like? That's what I don't know. Like, is, is there a disconnect in some coaching and preparation? And this can be a topic that we can debate forever, right? Or for quite a while. But does the lack of coaching and preparation keep us at a 500 level team? Or are we like quite a distance away from what we could like? Is there another gear that we can still achieve? To answer your original question. You have to look at it. Yeah, to to answer your original question, is Matt Campbell a good coach for Iowa State? I don't think you can answer that. I don't think you can answer that for any coach in any program definitively. However, I will say that I am not anywhere close to start um, discounting Coach Campbell's decisions at this point. Um, I don't think you can discount anything that he's done so far. Is there issues? Yeah, there's always going to be issues regardless of who you have. Um, uh, I still stand behind. I still trust the process at this point. Um, If things continue to go downhill over the next couple seasons, you know, you might revisit that. But at this point, I still think... Matt Campbell's a great coach, and he's a great coach for Iowa State. Is he the best coach for Iowa State? Uh, that's not a question I think you can answer. The, the question you have to ask along with your question, Kyle, is who's going to be better? Who can, you get to, who can you get to come to Ames, Iowa that's going to be better? Yeah, and that you won't know until you have someone different. But that's what I'm saying is – or what I'm trying to get at is – there come, is come still out and say it, Kyle. Are you low key advocating to fire Matt Campbell right no, now? That's that is, sounds like I am not right advocating to fire Matt like. Campbell. You are you are taking words out of context. I think I think Kyle's just fire playing Matt Campbell. Advocate. I'm just saying that the coaching staff still has some room has quite a bit of room for improvement in my opinion because it seems like there is a serious disconnect between coaching and the product that we are putting on the field. I think Kyle has a point. However, uh, I think it plays right into the hand of overreaction Monday. I mean, yes, I agree. I do give you, you do have a good point that they seem to not show up in the first game of the year, right? First year, they lost to you and I. Second year, what, this is his, what is his, fifth year now? Fifth Sixth year. year. Fifth year. Yeah. yeah, so they've lost to you and I. They've beat you and I in a blowout. They've barely beat you and I. They had an opener get rained out, and then they did this. Are his five openers? So I'll, 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 yeah, I'll give you that. They tend to not play well in their first game. I'll certainly give you that. But I mean, he has brought excitement to Iowa State football, and in some ways, that's more important than wins. I mean, eventually, you got to, you know, if we're five hundred forever, the excitement will go away. But as long as he still exactly. brings excitement to Iowa State football. Then I don't care. Then I don't care as much how many wins, how many actual exactly. wins. Exactly, and I'm not trying to discredit anything that he's done. Three bowl games in five years—that is phenomenal for a team that didn't see a bowl game hardly ever, right? But what I'm trying to take a look at is: can he still improve? In my opinion, yes. But can Iowa State start to win these close games? Can Iowa State start to 
get rid of these mistakes and turnovers. And I feel, or not turnovers, but special teams, like absolute failures like we saw this week. And I think that starts with coaching and that comes down to coaching in that point that position so as as i raised a question mike i hear that you also want to raise a question yes i do have an important question for both of you so we've already talked about how bad iowa state looked this week who would you have rather been this week an iowa state fan with that performance or an iowa fan where you just don't have football an iowa state fan i there are people that were joking. Maybe we should have just canceled the season as well with that performance. But I, I don't. I don't think so. That that kind of football, while it sucks, is better than no football at all. I I agree with that because for the first half of that football game, maybe like five eighths of the football game, I was so excited to have Iowa State football back, and then it turned into a realization that this is what our life looks like when we choose to be fans of Iowa State. <laughs> yeah, this is nothing. Crap <laughs> like this happens to us all the time. And it doesn't seem to change. Right. I would definitely rather be watching Cyclone football than not watching Cyclone football this year, that's for sure. So, And also, along with the watching football theme, we had NFL football to watch this week, too. Week one of the NFL happened. It went on without a COVID hitch, at least to this point. I haven't heard of any COVID issues with the NFL. I mean, there were some playing issues. Teams didn't play like they should have. I mean, they played poorly. Some teams we thought would play well definitely played poorly. One of those being the Vikings. The Vikings secondary actually got completely and 100% embarrassed by Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Now, granted, Aaron Rodgers can embarrass a lot of uh, secondaries, but, um, yeah, that was just an, a terrible performance by the Vikings um, secondary as uh, Aaron Rodgers pummeled the Vikings. They only ended up winning by nine in the end, um, but that had more to do with the Vikings, you know, scoring a bunch of touchdowns and two-point conversions in garbage time. And every time they scored, Aaron Rodgers will march right back down and score again. The Vikings secondary was just awful. I mean, which is sort of expected when, you know, your corner who gets the most snaps is a third-round draft pick rookie. Like, you got, you got a third-round rookie at a Mississippi State covering Devontae Adams against Aaron Rodgers. Like, what do you expect to happen? Like, did you expect him to lock him down? I don't know. The Vikings are thin at corner, and it definitely showed. Um, other things that were unexpected this week, um, the Washington football team and the Jacksonville Jaguars both won their games. Um, the uh, Washington came back from, a, what was it, a 17-0? I couldn't remember if it was 17 or 21 nothing to storm back and beat the Eagles. And the Jaguars also won their first game of the year, so... Two teams there that you did not expect to get W's dead. And a and note for the a note for the Eagles, Carson Wentz was sacked either eight or nine times in that game. So that new Chase Allen uh, defensive line for the Washington football team uh, had a heyday against the Eagles offensive line. Yeah, you wonder you wonder why Carson Wentz gets hurt so often. That 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 is why Carson Wentz gets hurt so often. Um 
One more unexpected thing was Tom Brady did not look good at all against the um, the New Orleans Saints. So, so let me let me stop you there. It, since it is overreaction Monday, I agree. Tom Brady did not. It, it, Tom Brady looked uncharacteristic. Tom Brady. We'll put it that way. Two interceptions, one touchdown through the or two touchdowns through the air, one rushing. Tom Brady had an offseason with no preseason games, uh, limited time with his new players. Mike Evans was injured the entire week of practice leading up to the game against the Saints. The Saints are the favorite, or one of the favorites, if not the favorite in the NFC, to win the NFC. Was this expected that the that Tampa Bay might lose? Pro- I, probably. The Saints are a good football team. Was it un- was it expected that Tom Brady would look bad? Maybe, maybe not. Tom Brady's probably going to figure it out. I'd give it to Tom Brady, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, to figure it out. I think they had the possibly the toughest schedule first game schedule of the season going to New Orleans and playing that with a revamped roster. But I will agree, Tom Brady did look very uncharacteristic for Tom Brady. Another uncharacteristic thing was uh, Mitchell Trubisky led the Chicago Bears back to a win. Uh, Yeah. They were down, what, 23-3? to Something like that. In this game, and they came back to beat the Detroit Lions in Detroit. Uh, the Lions should have actually won this football game. Matt Stafford threw an absolute dime to DeAndre Swift that hit him right in the hands, and he dropped it in the end zone. Uh, so the Lions should have actually won that game, but a rookie running back was not able to haul it in. Uh, so very surprising that actually Mitchell Trubisky came back and won a game for the Bears. Uh, he actually looked okay um, in the comeback. Other games that I'll just touch on briefly, the Chiefs uh, played the Texans um, and ended up scoring 31 unanswered points again um, against the Texans. This game really wasn't close. The Texans scored some points in garbage time to make this game actually a little bit closer. Deshaun Watson was running for his life uh, from the likes of uh, Frank Clark and Chris Jones. And they really, really looked bad without DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, As a side note, DeAndre Hopkins set a career high 14 catches um, and had 151 yards in his Arizona Cardinals debut. Uh, So he played really, really well. Um, And then Joe Burrow is the last person that I want to touch on. He had an okay game for the Bengals, but the most impressive thing was his final drive against the Chargers. The Chargers have a uh, above average defense in the league this year. And Joe Burrow marched them down the field uh, in a two minute drive and set them up. Actually, he had a touchdown pass to AJ Green to win the game negated by offensive pass interference. Um, It was a really, really great throw. But then with the offensive pass interference, they decided to go for the tie. And the Bengals kicker misses wide right and pulls a calf muscle. And the Bengals end up losing that game. Yeah, welcome to the NFL, Joe Burrow. Uh, Your offensive line is probably worse than it was last year at LSU. Just saying. But all in all, I was happy to have football back. 
NFL, there's, unlike the Cyclones, who have a bye week next week, the NFL will be back um, next week, you know, unless, you know, you have massive COVID positives here this week, which doesn't seem likely. Um, the NFL will be back again next week for week two. So I'm looking forward to it. We got more good games on the slate next week, I'm sure. So we'll get to tell you all about those um, next week after they happen. Um, what else happened this week is, of course, baseball. Uh, we chugged closer and closer to the playoffs. We are now just two weeks away. Um, not a whole lot changed in the standings um, this week. Um, uh, going into last week, the Yankees looked like they were starting to falter and were in a little bit of trouble. They were only a game or two up on Baltimore for that last playoff spot. Um, but they took three out of four from Baltimore. Um, was it three out of four? Did they take all four from Baltimore this week? I got to find that quick. Anyway, they, they took all four. Yeah. They pounded Baltimore, um, this weekend to, uh, basically, uh, they did take all four. They did take all four from Baltimore this weekend to, uh, basically bury the, uh, bury the Orioles. So our hopes last week of having, both the Yankees and Astros missed the playoffs. Won't happen. But the Astros could still miss the playoffs. The Astros are now, what is it, 2-8 and eight in their last 10 games. Well, both the Mariners and Angels have gone 7-3 and three in their last 10. The Mariners are now only a, sitting a game and a half behind the Astros for second place in the American League West um, and that sixth seed in the AL playoffs that will come with it. And that's a game and a half with Seattle up against Oakland as we record here in the final inning. Um, so basically the Astros could be in trouble. They should still make the playoffs because they have an easier schedule down the stretch than um, the Mariners do. The Mariners have to play Oakland a couple, a few more times and the Astros get Arizona a few times. Um, but the Astros could be in trouble. So if you hate the Astros like Kyle does um, – you should be keeping an eye on the Mariners and maybe the Angels to see if they can make a run at the Astros down the stretch and uh, catch them and knock the Astros from the playoffs. I know I would like that, and I know Kyle would like that. A lot of you love that. like that, too. Yeah. Um, see, other notes. Or Kyle, you want to fill us in on some other notes of what happened yeah, so, on the field this week? Yeah, so on Saturday, was it Saturday or Sunday? Which one? Uh, I forget. One of the days this weekend, Alec Mills for the Cubs uh, threw a no-hitter. So Alec Mills kind of came out of nowhere, former 22nd round pick. Uh, I would call him a journeyman uh, in the major leagues. Hasn't pitched a full season um, on an MLB roster to date. Threw a no-hitter. Uh, and according to StatCast, uh, when these um, Stats were actually were began tracking in 2015. He had the most hard hit balls in a complete game, no hitter, uh, since James Paxton did. Uh, Alec Mills had 11 hard hit balls in the game, uh, really putting his defense behind him to work. Uh, earlier in the week on Thursday night, uh, Brady Singer for the Royals, the rookie pitcher, threw a uh, near no hitter. Uh, he had a no hitter through seven and two thirds innings until the Cleveland catcher Austin Hedges uh, broke that with a two out single. Um, he was already at 
like 110 pitches, but Mike Matheny said that he would keep him in until he was able to uh, complete that no-hitter. And just another note that happened in the league, this is um, a very rare feat. Alberto Mondesi uh, for the Royals accomplished uh, something that hadn't been done since 1901. He was the second player to have a home run and a stolen base in three three straight games just showing that the combination of power and speed are a rarity uh, in the major leagues. Mike, do you want to fill us in on some unhappy MLB players in regards to the playoff bubble? Yeah. So as we talked about last week, um, the the players, uh, the league presented uh, the players with a bubble idea with stadiums and everything, um, as Kyle gave you last week. The big holdup, now is with quarantine for the players and um, family situations, right? So basically, the the issue is first of all, the NBA is submitting a or the so, excuse me, the MLB's plan calls for two things. First of all, it does allow for families to join their um, their player in the bubble but those families would have to do a isolation quarantine for seven days before they'd be allowed in the bubble, which would really be tough for some families. Um, and second, that the uh, league is asking for the players themselves to also do a seven-day quarantine before going in the bubble, even if they are playing at home. So the players are upset about these quarantine procedures that they feel is um, – that they feel is being sort of thrust upon them sort of at the last minute here. I mean, we're two weeks out from the start of the playoffs at this point. The the players are upset that the league hasn't figured this out and come to them sooner, right? And there's a good section of the players who are saying, look, outside of those two outbreaks at the start of the year, right, where the Marlins and Cardinals were doing things they shouldn't have been doing, we've had no COVID problems. Like the Twins, zero positives, the Indians, zero positives, right? Those are just the two teams I know off the top. And, Most teams. And to that point, there have been a few teams that have had positives, like Oakland, uh, San Francisco, apparently, recently. But those have been contained, and within, like, two or three days, they're back to playing. Yep. Yeah, and, I, and basically the players are saying, we've done everything right here for um, most of the year, Right. And now he's bringing this on us at the end. Like, I get why the league is doing it, right? I mean, there's upwards of uh, there's upwards between $800 million and a billion dollars in TV money resting on these playoffs getting played to completion. So I get why the league wants to make sure it happens. But um, the players are just upset, and I can understand that too. The players are just upset that... This is all getting figured out last minute. They don't want to leave their families for the month that the playoffs are going to take, right, when they haven't had any issues um, in the year so far. So keep an eye on that. I mean, if the union and the league don't come to agreement, they're just going to play playoffs in as they normally would, right, as a normal playoffs would be played, you know, without fans still, but normal locations and whatnot. So keep an eye to see if this playoff bubble is actually going to happen because – Despite for weeks people talking as if it's guaranteed, the the players uh, made note this week that it is not guaranteed and they still have some things they need to work out. So we'll keep an eye on that for you and fill you in on any new details next week. 
Speaking of filling you in on details and another bubble that is happening right now, the NBA is still functioning at a high level inside their bubble in Orlando. The Celtics were able to knock off the uh, former NBA champions, the Toronto Raptors, uh, in Game 7 of their series, and they advanced to play the Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, The Los Angeles Clippers and Denver Nuggets are knotted at three games apiece. Uh, They move to a decisive Game 7 on Tuesday night. Uh, The winner of that series moves on to play the Los Angeles Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. And with that rapid update in the NBA, we now move on to a... We're taking a one-week hiatus on hilarious sports contracts to talk about a strange but true sports injury uh, that happened this past week. And it is one that you really can't make up as uh, Zach Wheeler, the pitcher's pitcher for the Philadelphia Phillies, was injured by putting on his own pants. Uh, So he was added to the injured list uh, while he lost his balance while putting on a pair of jeans on Wednesday night, resulting in his nail on his pitching finger, uh, or on his pitching hand, uh, to catch the lip of his belt buckle area, and he partially lifted off the nail bed, causing lots of blood and a fair amount of soreness. Uh, And if you are familiar with gripping a baseball or baseball in general, you know that any injury to the hand, especially the pitching hand, Uh, of a major league pitcher makes it nearly impossible uh, to get the proper spin and uh, pitch for a major league baseball team. So be careful out there. Don't lose your balance while you're putting on your pants. Could uh, possibly tear your nail off of your finger. That that would be a problem. You do need your... your, your fingers to throw the baseball. Continuing with our signature segments, our weekly turtle tab, where we bring you all things Will and Zastadio related. He continues to be on the major league roster. He appeared in three games in the last week. In those three games, um, he went three for seven in those three games with in, with three runs um, and one RBI, including and that RBI came on a solo home run against Cleveland this past weekend. For the season, um, he is hitting 364 with uh, four runs and three RBIs. Uh, he's slugging 727 and has an OPS of almost 1,100. Basically, he's been an offensive machine in the few games he's appeared in offensively. Uh, his defense has been a little bit more uh, questionable, we'll say. And he's probably going to get sent down here this week as uh, silver slugging catcher Mitch Garver is expected to come off the injured list sometime this week. But he has hit well when he's been here, and we will, and he's in the lineup again tonight, and we will tell you next week about all that he's done. This week in Mike's Stupid Rules, we are going to explain to you exactly what happened on a very confusing play at the end of the first half of the um, Iowa State-Louisiana football game. What it was the sec- second to last play of the half, right? Um, Louisiana goes up to spike the football, presumably at the end of the half, right? And then there was that whole weird thing where, like, the quarterback like spiked it twice, or was it a fumble or a spike? And there was a penalty. Why was there a penalty? Well, we're going to explain it to you. So 
here's what here's what the ruling on the field. So they ruled that that first thing, that first spike fumble thing. They ruled that a muffed snap. Now a muffed snap is different than calling it a spike. Obviously, a spike is an incomplete pass. The play is dead. But it's also different than a fumble. A muffed snap is different than a fumble. If they call that a clean a clean fumble, then um, picking up the ball and spiking it or throwing a pass or running with it, etc., those would all be fair game. But since they ruled that a muffed snap instead of a fumble, then the ball is dead, um, and then the ball cannot be passed once the player picked it up. So when the quarterback then picked it up and actually spiked it, that was an illegal pass because you cannot pass a muffed ball was basically the ruling that the official made. So that's why you'd be like, you know, if you drop a lateral, you can you, know, you can still pick it up and pass it, right? Yes, you can because it's a fumble versus a, a muffed snap. A muffed snap cannot be advanced. That's why that was an illegal pass by uh, Louisiana Monroe or by Louisiana. Sorry. A quick question slash clarification that you might not actually have the answer to because I don't know, but I don't think you can um, spike the ball after it's been either fumbled or muffed. I don't think the rules allow for a spike I, ball to happen. I, don't, I guess I don't know about spikes specifically in that case. Um, I know for sure high school rules don't allow that, and I don't think the college rules do either. Yeah, I, I don't know about spikes specifically. after. I know you are allowed to pass the ball after a yeah. fumble, but I don't know if yeah. there's a specific difference for spikes. That's a good question. I don't know. I think I, there is. I also. Would. I would guess that that would maybe fall under the um, uh, like intentional grounding ruling, possibly. Uh, it might. No ineligible receiver yeah. is in the vicinity. Right. And right. I think that isn't that what they ended up ruling in the game? No. The pass. Yeah, it, oh, it okay. was an illegal forward pass. Okay. Um, yeah. But there you go. Yes, they called it a muffed snap was the official ruling, which is actually an official designation for something that can happen that is by rule different than a fumble. Yep. So that, yep. that is what happened, and that's why there was confusion. They were, they were trying to decide whether they were calling it a muffed snap or a fumble, and that's why there was the confusion and the review. So that, that's why the confusion. The ruling was a muffed snap, which you cannot spike. So, Side note, that review came way too late. I agree. Just, just saying. I, I also agree. I agree. I mean, in the end, it didn't matter because Louisiana no. made the field goal anyway. But, yes, it was, was very weird, and I was very confused. Especially as Jaquan Bailey picked up the ball and was running down <laughs> the field and nobody had blown a whistle yet. I was like, well, keep going. If they don't blow a whistle, keep going. They did. Also, they I... Nah, never mind. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. That is your stupid rule for the week. Moving right along into our accountability session. We have a large accountability session this week. Apparently there was a lot um, put on this first week of football. Well, I mean, not all of them were football related. But anyway, a lot of predictions coming off the board. First, we have a pair of predictions by Josh. Josh predicted at two different times this offseason that, um, that football would be laid. First, he predicted by a month, and then later he predicted by three months. With the NFL starting week one on Sunday, uh, it was not delayed. So for both of those, Josh gets a nah, nah, nah. Wyatt, you predicted that the ISU CFBMB would 
perform at Jack Trice Stadium this year. They, as you well know, as you were lucky to be one of the few people in the world at Jack Trice Stadium for the game on Saturday, you know that the Cyclone Marching Band was there. So for that, you get a ding, 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 ding. ding. They were there and they sounded great. Go band. They did sound great on TV, I will say. Um, you were, Unfortunately, the rest of your predictions, not so hot. <laughs> Uh, you predicted the Raptors would win the East, which Kyle already told us they did not. So, nah. nah. You also predicted that Craig Kimbrell would get no more saves this year. Um, on Saturday against the Brewers, Craig Kimbrell did get the save. So for that, you also get a nah. nah. Um, Josh uh, predicted that the Brewers would be 500 um, as of, yesterday basically as of last sunday uh they're still not 500 still in the playoff hunt because the bottom of the nl is bad but they're still not at 500 so kyle predicted that the chiefs would score five offensive touchdowns um in their thursday night football game against the texans they got to four or they got to five minus one yard and five minus one yard is less than five so for that, Kyle gets a nah. You have one more correct prediction this week when Josh predicted that Alan Lazard would score at least one touchdown in the first two weeks. He did indeed score a touchdown against the atrocious Vikings secondary on Sunday. So for that, Josh gets a ding, 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 ding. That is all we have for the accountability session this week. Kyle, you want to get stuff back up on the board? That is me. So, my prediction this week is that off of his impressive performance against the Cleveland Indians, Brady Singer will win all of his remaining starts. So, it has to be a win, not a no decision, or a loss. How many games do the Royals have left? The Royals have... uh, Twelve, it looks like. Five... Yeah, 12, 12 games remaining. So he He'll get either two or three more starts. He's scheduled to start on Wednesday, so he's probably going to get three more starts, and that those would be scheduled starts against Detroit, most likely St. Louis, and then Detroit again. Mm. Three straight wins for Petra. Hmm. What do you think? This is a tough one, right? The one for St. Louis spooks me. Um. Yeah, let me hold on. Let me let me let me. I, I might be able to get some some numbers on this. Let me see. While you pull up stats, my gut read is that I I the, the St. Louis one is one I'm getting hung up on. I don't think that's gonna happen. Yeah. Um. So his next two starts. Um. Let me see here. So let's see. Singer. 538 gives the Royals a 52% chance to win that game. And then it gives them a 43% chance to win the game against St. Louis. And then against Detroit, um, it gives them a 50... Let's see, when's he going to pitch again? One, two, three, four. It gives them a 54% chance to win that game. Um, so just the odds that the Royals win all three of those games is 12%. Now, Royals win the game, and the starting pitcher is the pitcher of record. Um, That's unlikely. This this seems like triple a home run territory Uh, to me, right? I would agree with that. 
What do you think? Um, Should you pull a home run? How outlandish is it? Is it? Is it crazy? I I don't know if it's insane. Well, Brady Brady Singer so far this season is two and four with a four six six earned run average, and in his starts he is getting below average run support. That makes me feel like it's just straight up not gonna happen. I I would be okay with the home run. Yeah, home run it is. Sweet. What do you got, Mike? Yeah, I am going to predict that despite eight seeds in the playoffs, despite everything. The Twins are going to play the Yankees in the first round of the playoffs again, because why not? Because it's going to happen. You just know it's going to happen. Like, I'm watching I mean, these standings develop, and I'm just like, oh, boy, <laughs> you know it's going to be the Yankees. So, <laughs> so the only way that this first round matchup cannot happen is if both teams end up wind up winning the division. No. Well, the Yankees aren't going to win that division. I'll tell you that right now. But that's I, – I was saying that is one of the only ways that that matchup can't happen. Or if, if the Twins teams, and the Yankees both win the division, they will not be paired up first round. The, the, the ways they're going to get paired up first round is the Twins winning the division and the Yankees finishing third or the uh, in their division or the Twins finishing second in their division and the Yankees finishing second in their division. Those are the two ways they're going to get paired up. I think the them both finishing second in the division is a very high is a pretty high likelihood. Yeah, and if 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 both of them finish second, they will play each other. It would be almost impossible for them not to play each other. Yeah. It, if yeah, because there's no way the Astros as the th- or Mariners as that third second place team, they're what five games behind the Yankees right now. And I believe so if not you look at catch. it, the Yankees the Yankees have the better record in division, which is a tiebreaker over the yeah. Astros, because the Astros yeah. don't have a very good in division record. Yeah. So if both teams finish second, they're going to play each other. Um, and then if the Twins end up winning that division, then it'll come down to who between Cleveland and the Yankees has the better record and what seed do the Twins get, because the Rays, White Sox, Twins, and A's are all pretty close to each other in the standings. And right now, the Yankees have the better record in division than the Indians do. Correct. Uh, I'm thinking this is either a double or a triple. I'm kind of leaning more towards a double. I was going to say double because I like, yeah. just because like history repeats itself and <laughs> the fact that it seems like there's a pretty high likelihood that both of those teams might finish second in their respective divisions, which would line them up perfectly with each other. Yeah, I think that's a double. I would tend to agree. I'll take the double. Wyatt, what do you got? I'm going to say that our special teams coach is going to actually whip our special teams into shape. We're going to make some tackles. And the Cyclones will allow no more special teams touchdowns the rest of the season. Just not going to happen. It's a long season, especially against K-State, who is who we allowed a special teams touchdown to K-State at the end of the season last year. I know I was at that game and I was livid. It's not going to happen again this season. It ain't. Mm. My gut reaction is uh, triple. I was leaning towards double just because special teams touchdowns aren't that common. Like It's yeah. true. I was leaning towards double for this. Do you think our special teams are going to improve? Next. It's hard to be worse than they were. <laughs> yeah, it is definitely hard to be worse than they were this game. So, yes, they will improve. 
by, but how, by much. how much. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm still leaning towards double. Fine. Yeah. I'll do it. It's kind of what I was expecting. But what do we got from Josh this week? Is he still alive? Yeah. Yeah, he's doing good. Josh uh, is doubling down on his man, Alan Lazard. Um, after his touchdown this week, he's now predicting that he will have three touchdowns in the first three weeks. So basically, I have two touchdowns over the next two weeks. Right, same thing. Three touchdowns in the first three weeks if he has one in one week. Are there any percentages of number of touchdowns, like average touchdowns that a number two receiver sees? I'm I'm sure you could find it, but you don't want to sit here and make small talk until I can find it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, probably not. I I don't think it would be very helpful either in determining this. What did we give him for the one touchdown in the first week? Uh, We gave him a triple for one touchdown in three weeks. Oh, one touchdown in three weeks. Oh, so one touchdown saying... in two weeks. Sorry. We gave him okay. a triple for one touchdown in two weeks. But I think so now in, that we've seen him used. That... In week two, the Packers play the Lions. And in week three, the Packers play the Saints. Mm. If we gave him a triple for that original prediction, and knowing that Lazard is being used, like you said, I would kind of be comfortable with a double for this. That's, one. that's what I'm also saying. I, I was leaning towards double until you told me that second game was against the Saints. But I think he's Blood he might begin. get them against the Lions. Though. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Okay. All right. He all might right. get both against the Lions since the Lions' top cornerback in the that they got in the draft they, this year will shadow Adams. They had two corners that got injured in the second half of that game too. I don't know if they'll oh, be back. Well, but. then, yeah, he's probably going to get both of them next week. I'd say. Especially with the way Aaron Rodgers is slinging it this weekend. Double it is. With all four of our Write That Down predictions up on the board, that concludes our Write That Down prediction segment, which also concludes this episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 97 of the 8311 cast. We appreciate you sticking around. We will uh, most certainly talk to you again next week. In the meantime, if you want more 8311 cast fix, make sure you check us out on Instagram at 8311cast. Signing off for the 8311 cast, we have your hosts... Wyatt Teeter, Kyle Mush, and Mike Ludwig. We'll talk to you next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.